Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. First, the second Peter chapter one, verse 12. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard his voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have heard the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, impress upon us these things, that Peter wanted to impress on his readers, even us, that we would remember them. He has been long gone. He is with you in heaven now. But let us pay attention to the word he brings to us, that we would remember these things. Help us to understand what they are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Graham Williams talked about estate planning. Uh, Bruce Owens will be with us. And uh, Paul Koyster is going to be preaching the Sunday before uh, that seminar on Tuesday. And Paul Koyster is one of the extraordinary uh, speakers, preachers, uh, leaders in our denomination. He's been president of Covenant Seminary, uh, the uh, head of our uh, Mission to, to the World uh, organization. So it's a privilege to have Paul with us on that Sunday as well. And that is setting our affairs in order so that our possessions go where we want them to go and that we uh, see all of this as uh, stewards of of Christ uh, in planning in such a way. I ask you a similar question, not what would you leave to your descendants in terms of possessions, but if you were to finish This sentence that uh, Peter writes out, I will make every effort to see after my departure that you will always be able to remember these things. What are these things that you would impress upon your children, your friends, anyone who would listen to you? These are not the logistics of these are the instructions of where to find the will. This is how to execute my, my estate. I'm asking you what perspectives, what principles of life, what is most important that you would want to pass on. This is what Peter is doing here. And this is Peter, an extraordinary man. He was just a fisherman, but he was called by Jesus to be not just one of his 12 disciples, but in many ways, the lead disciple. He's the one who spoke up the most. 
Peter is the one who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, Peter is the one who said, even if everyone else deserts you, I will die for you. He is the one who was humbled when Jesus, by his foretelling, uh, Jesus said, Peter, Peter, you will disown me three times. And Peter did. But Peter was there in the courtyard at least. He was there when Jesus was being led off to crucify. He wasn't hiding out. He was there wanting to be close. But when the servant came up and said, aren't you one of his disciples? He faltered and he disowned Christ. He denied him. But Jesus came to Peter and restored him and said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I do. Jesus asked him three times. He affirmed it three times. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. This is a very special person. He is apostle extraordinaire. And he is wanting to impress on us these things. Shouldn't we pay attention? What things? I kept wanting to lean forward in the passage and say, okay, what are the things he's about to explain to us? And he talked about his eyewitness of the transfiguration. He talks about the scriptures. And I was thinking these things, his eyewitness testimony to the uh, transfiguration and the witness of scriptures, the authoritative witness of scriptures to the truths of Christ. But I realized Peter had used this phrase, these things already in this chapter. If you go back into the previous uh, verse, 10 and 11, um, he says, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These things, what things? We have to go back further in the passage. And we find, beginning in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Well, before we get to the list of what we're to add to our faith, where does that faith come from? We go back to the opening verse in verse 1. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. If God has given us faith in Jesus Christ and made us his children, we are to add to our faith... Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, uh, brotherly kindness, and love. These are the things that when Peter says, if you do these things, you won't fall. Doesn't mean we'll be perfect. Peter himself uh, failed, he fell, and yet Jesus restored him. We won't falter in the end because our security is in Christ who holds us to him. But this is how we grow up as Christians. And when Peter says, so I always, I will always remind you of these things. I think he's referring to becoming a Christian through faith in Jesus Christ and growing as a Christian with the blueprint he just laid out for us. That's what he wants us to remember. And he's earnest about this. And I, I love the way he goes on to say, even though you know them And are firmly established in the truth you now have. I identified there just, you get up into the pulpit every Sunday, you realize much of what you preach, people already know. It's a privilege to be uh, able to introduce to someone who's new, who's just uh, beginning to learn the scriptures, where they are eating it up. It's intimidating to think there are people there thinking, I already know that. I already know that. Because somehow then it doesn't count. You know, the Bible is more like food 
than anything else. Peter is not afraid to remind them of these things. We need to be reminded so that we're filled with the Spirit and the Word to leave this place ready to live for Christ this week in the world. It's funny how you may know something that you learned 30 years ago and you still know it, but you're not thinking about it. So you're not living by it. Peter says, I will always remind you of these things. And he just doesn't make the point simply. He, he goes further and, and emphasizes it. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Peter knows that this life is not the end all. He knows that he will soon put aside his earthly tent, his body, because Jesus told him that he would be a martyr. You look at the end of of the Gospels, you'll find uh, Jesus telling Peter, you'll be led where you do not want to go. There are words that imply you're going to give your life you, you, you failed me before, you disowned me before, but you will lay down your life for my sake. That was actually an encouraging word to Peter that he wouldn't falter when he was put to the test later. So Peter knows he's about to put it aside. And as I was reading this, I started calculating the, the timeline. It's thought that Peter was born around uh, 1 AD. And this letter was written uh, before he was was crucified upside down, the church tradition has it, around 67, 68 A.D., which means he's about my age. He's about the age of, of a number of us in here. So he's in his 60s. He knows he's coming to an end of his time, and he, and he says, I know that I'll lay aside this tent, but I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I Live, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. I came to this part of the passage, I thought, I should have saved this passage. This should have been my finale sermon, the last one before I retired. Hopefully not my ultimate departure to heaven for Mary's sake, although we, we, we do begin to sense the glory of heaven to come. We'll talk about that in a minute. But... Identify with Peter and and the age. And I I think these things are so important. The faith that we, the righteousness we have through faith in Jesus Christ and how we grow as Christians. Well, I always remind you of these things. Would you remember these things after my departure? This is what Peter wants us to remember. Well, the rest of the passage is not so much spelling out this is what to remember, What came before is these things to remember. The rest of the passage is why? How can we know that these things are true? Peter said, you will receive, at the end of the last passage, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's verse uh, 11. We're headed for an eternal kingdom. How can we know that's true? That's what motivates us to come to faith in Jesus Christ, to grow in Christ, because that is where we are headed. How can we know that's true? Peter answers that in two ways. First, in terms of his own eyewitness testimony. 
And second, in the scripture's authoritative testimony. First, his own eyewitness testimony, verse 16 and following. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The disciples didn't sit in that upper room after Jesus died and think, we can't let this movement stop. We've got to invent a religion. They weren't cleverly invented stories. The disciples wouldn't have died for cleverly invented stories. They witnessed the resurrected Christ. And in witnessing his resurrection were changed profoundly. And the Holy Spirit came upon them in Jerusalem at the beginning of Acts. And they were filled with power to God and tell the world about the risen Christ and what he had accomplished by his life and his death and his resurrection. To reconcile us to God. That we might become his children. That we might have this eternal destiny in glory. Now what's interesting is that's the way I usually think of that's the ultimate. The the disciples became apostles when they witnessed the resurrected Christ and they went to tell, tell the world he is risen because that is true. But in Peter's personal testimony, he goes to something even bigger. The resurrection of Christ is absolute fact. But when he witnessed Jesus in his resurrected body, the glory of God was still veiled. They saw him beside the sea. He wasn't shining in his glorious presence. He was in his resurrected body, which was absolutely amazing. But there was still something veiled in the glory of Christ. Peter, James, and John got a glimpse of the glory of Christ when they witnessed the transfiguration. Turn with me in your Bibles back to Matthew chapter 17. And let's read about this transfiguration of Jesus. Beginning in chapter 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Characteristically of Peter, he gets it a little bit wrong. He's so amazed, he witnesses the three figures, and he doesn't call it the Trinity or anything like that, but he's so impressed by the three figures in glory, he's going to create three shelters. And God the Father interrupts. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Somehow the first impression when Peter saw the glory of God in in the face of Jesus 
And then attending Jesus, Elijah and Moses, he was so impressed by that glory, he wanted to build three uh, tabernacles, a place to worship God. God said, it's not these three, it's my son with him. Moses and Elijah were just attending to him. But Peter got a, a glimpse of his Savior, our Savior, in his glorious presence. And the voice of God that came and humbled them. They were terrified before God, but Jesus came to them and said, Don't be afraid. Because Jesus was coming to pay for their sins, to reconcile them to God, to make everything right. We wouldn't need to be afraid. That's the message over and over from the birth of Jesus to the death of Jesus. Don't be afraid. Because Jesus has made atonement for our sin. Peter remembers this, and this is what he goes to when he says, we were eyewitnesses of these things. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. Why should we be impressed with these things that Peter is wanting us to remember? He's wanting to impress upon us because Peter was eyewitness of the glory which we, through faith in Christ, will enter. Now, before we go on, here's a little side lesson. As we think about entering into the glory of of God through Christ, on the way back from Mary's mother's funeral, Mary and I were just talking about heaven and what it's like. What is, it, what is it going to be like when our bodies are committed to the ground and our spirits are in heaven? What is it like to be a spiritual being without a body that defines where we are and what you can see? It, it, it gets vague and it gets hard to apprehend. We were talking about how it's easier to envision when Jesus comes again and our bodies are, are raised, we'll live forever in that new heaven and new earth. Uh, with, with God in Christ, body and soul. That's the way he made us. We're familiar with ourselves in that way. What's it like to be in heaven now when our bodies are in the ground? I was leading up to this passage. I was thinking about the transfiguration. And I thought, in the transfiguration, we have something marvelous. It's not emphasized, but it's there. Jesus was in a body that was still headed for death on the cross. And the glory that broke into this world through the light that shone in his face, the glorious deity of Christ, the presence of Christ in that body is the light of the world. And then for believers, you had the example of the two, Moses and Elijah. Think about that. Moses died and his body is buried. And his spirit is with Christ in heaven. Elijah, remember? Elijah was transported to heaven and his body was changed into a resurrected immortal body. So you have these two figures, one whose body was in the ground, the other who was already experiencing his resurrected body. That's just fact. Attending to Jesus, who is the glory of God himself. And they were glorious. And we get a picture there of what we will be like if we die before Jesus comes again. 
and our spirits go to be with God, we will be just like Moses. They didn't look at Moses and Elijah and say, I can see Elijah because he has a resurrected body, but I can't see Moses. I mean, that was the whole point. They saw the two. In the spirit, there is this there is a the persona, the, the representation that shown the glory of God so that they recognize this is Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter was so impressed he wanted to build tabernacles to them. And I thought of an illustration, but I'm not enough of an engineer to work it out. But I wanted to bring two lamps up here. I just have to describe what I could have worked out and use your imaginations. I wanted to bring two lamps up here, one with the light bulb that was intact, with the glass bulb uh, around the, the light in the center with the, you know, the fiber and everything that would create the light. The other, I was going to break the bulb and just leave the, the light center. And you'd have the, the shell of the bulb, the glass shell would represent our earthly body. And the one with whose shell was taken away would be when our bodies are broken and committed to the ground. We don't have the earthly body anymore. Now, the picture of those who are spiritually dead, who don't know Christ, is the light's off in both. The picture of the Christian in this life, we still have this body, would be the one that has the light bulb. The glass is still there. And you turn the light on. It's like with the dimmer switch. When you turn the light on a little bit, it kind of shines in the shell. You see the bulb. The bulb defines the shape of the light. When people look at us, when we look at each other, we recognize each other by our physical bodies. But we are more than that because the light of Christ is already shining in our hearts and lives. It's pretty dim compared to what it'll be in heaven. But it's there. Now, picture Moses and Elijah, one with the body intact, the other, the resurrected body, and the other without but they're living in glory. Turn the lights bright. And all of a sudden, you're not noticing the glass anymore. Your eyes are dazzled by the brightness, whether it comes through the, body, the, the glass or without the glass. When we're in heaven, we will be glorified beings in our spirits. We, are, we will be persons in the fellowship of God, in the presence of God, and in fellowship with each other, awaiting the resurrection of our body, but we'll already be in glory. And you know what? When Peter looked at Moses and Elijah, he didn't say, hmm, one is more glorious than the other because actually the physical body resurrected, even even resurrected, did not matter that much. It was the glorious kingdom into which we are entering. And Peter is saying in this passage, we are eyewitnesses of that. Do you know that's your destiny? The light of, if you belong to Christ, the light of Christ is already in you. You already know the eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, the power of God, the purpose for life. That light is already in you. But when you die and go to heaven, it will be perfected and it will be glorious. That's where you're headed. And Peter is saying, I want you to know how to become a Christian through faith that's given to you. Grow as a Christian because this is where you're headed. And he says, beyond that, Peter's the only one that can impress that. I can't say I was an eyewitness of Christ. I was not an eyewitness of the transfiguration. We could all think, well, somehow we're left out. We have less. Peter says, you don't have less. You have more. Verse 19, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it. You have the word of the prophets. That's the scriptures. 
He's referring to the scriptures made more certain. Before I go to the application of it, let's just go to verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Just like he said, we did not follow cleverly invented stories. We didn't make it up. He's saying the writers of scripture didn't make it up either. This is God's word. He makes parallel the transfiguration of the scriptures and the transfiguration, the glory of God shone in the darkness of that night. In the scriptures, the glory of God, the light of the knowledge of him and, and who he is and who he can make us to be shines through the scriptures to us. The, the writers didn't make it up. They weren't, when it says, no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation doesn't mean we shouldn't try to interpret scripture principles of interpretation simply means we want to know truly and accurately what the scriptures say what he's saying here is that the prophets weren't looking at the world around and saying i want to try to make sense of it i'm going going to interpret life in this world as i see it in the light of god and i'm going to figure this out and then i'll express it in scriptures it's not the prophet's cleverly devised insight into the world it's the word of god through the prophet revealed to us those are the scriptures application peter says and you will do do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I think Peter consciously sees the parallel between what he saw in the transfiguration of Christ and the glory of God breaking through to them on that night and the scriptures and the light being a light breaking through into our lives until our whole lives are filled with it, until the day dawns, until it dawns on you and we experience it most fully in the resurrection of the last day and we're with Christ forever. And the morning star rises in your hearts. The morning star is an Old Testament reference to the Messiah. As as Jesus rises in their hearts and and, and illuminates everything. You'll do well to pay attention to it. How many of you read that and it just, yeah, we read it and we went right past it. You didn't stop to pay attention to it. So I strengthened it in my outline. I said, so if you know what's good for you. You see, that's what Peter is saying. You will do well to pay attention to it. Every parent here, picture stopping your child and saying, you will do well to pay attention to me. That's what Peter's saying. It's, it's meant to emphasize, to underscore, but it also has the positive promise. You will do well to pay attention to Scripture. Wow. So if you know what's good for you, Ask yourself, do I realize that the glory of God has broken through to me in this? Do I understand God, myself, and the world around me by this light? Is this a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path? Not just a list of rules so I know how to live, but a light that encompasses everything that helps me know where I'm going. And do I live in that light? Do you. You will do well to pay attention to these things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to remember the basics. 
the faith we've received, the righteousness we've received through faith in Jesus. Help us to remember how to grow as Christians. All these things we are to add one upon the other to continue that until our dying day. Help us remember where we're going and help us to know all of this is true by the eyewitness testimony of the apostles themselves and the testimony of God's word to it all. And let us commit, let us commit to growing in our knowledge of you through the study of your word to be transformed that the light would shine even now in our lives to those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.